0: how many of you guys were able to to watch the video that we put up last week. I'll take a quick second to recap what we talked about so you guys know where we're going this morning, Um, but we are continuing in the book of Exodus, and I guess as a spoiler, that's where we're going to be for a while, as you guys have known. Uh, Last week, we covered all of chapter 11 and the first half of chapter 12, which sounds like more than it was when chapter 11 is only 10 verses. Uh, But we were introduced to the 10th and the final plague in the book of Exodus and the institution of the Passover. And we talked a lot about what was taking place in the plague, what was taking place in the Passover, why is all this important. And we kind of summarized everything in four movements, right? That in the plague and in the Passover, we get a really cool picture of the gospel. And we said the four movements, it was our restoration requires sacrifice, Right, that if you and I are going to be made right with God, it requires a sacrifice. We talked about how that sacrifice, God provides, the second one. God provides the sacrifice for us, and we said and it was, it was a lamb. And how, how cool that that is a theme all throughout Scripture, a lamb showing up whenever a sacrifice is needed to make someone right with God. The third one, movement, we said it, we receive God's sacrifice that what we we do, our part to play in this, is is actually one of reception. We talked about how it's it's not a passive receiving. Receiving calls us to do things, but uh, ultimately it is about receiving what God has done on our behalf. And then the last movement, we share his testimony. And we ended, I ended the video talking a little bit about where we're going to be going in the next several months, Uh, talked about what our leadership team has been praying about and going through some of our ideas and things that fit from our vision, kind of fit from Exodus as to where we're going. So if you didn't catch that, we're going to talk about it again today. And you'll probably hear about it over the next several weeks as well because it, it really flows well from where we are at hey, Exodus. I'd, I'd love to say that I got to plan out the entire book and that all these themes would line up together, but that's totally a God thing. So we are excited to get to see how he is at work, how he is shaping and guiding and molding us as individuals in our church. Uh, And today we are going to be in chapter 12. We're going to finish chapter 12. We're going to go a little bit into chapter 13. And the main idea, guys, where we're headed today, two big things. The first one is a question that many of us have is, where are you at work, God? Right. Like where God, where are you at work in my life? God, where do you want our, our church to go? What do you want us to do? Where are you at work, God? That's the first big question. And then the second is, God, if if I know you're at work somewhere, then what do I do as a result? OK, so these are the two big questions that are going to kind of come to the forefront. They've they've been kind of marinating on the back of the, the burner, if you will, in the book of Exodus. But they really come center stage this morning. And as we read uh, chapter 12, verse 29 through chapter thirteen, 16, we're going to see, man, what is it that God does? And what is it that we do as our response to this? So we're going to first look at chapter 12, beginning in verse 29. And I think we're going to pause around verse 41. It says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among the people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and, by the way, bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing." And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides the women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both herds and flocks. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. God, we are grateful to be able to come to your word, to see how your servant Moses has, was inspired by your spirit to record all of this, God, to teach the people of Israel then and to teach us now. May we be able to understand what is taking place, God. What is it that you are doing and what is it that we do as a result? It is in your holy name we pray. Amen. Guys, as we begin to dive center stage back into Exodus, the work that God does is coming to the forefront. And so the the answer to that first question, what is it that our God does? It's the first half of our main point this morning. God works to deliver and redeem his people. If, If you've ever wondered, what is God up to? What is God doing? What God does is he works to deliver and to redeem. And he works these out in the lives of his people. Verses 29 through 32, if you look back down at your Bibles, you see that God carries out the 10th plague. And he strikes down all the firstborn people uh, and animals in Egypt. And if you guys remembered from the video, we talked about how when you see sacrifice, why the sacrifice was necessary in Exodus we hear sacrifice and we think about like giving up something to do something for God. Like giving up our time, our talent, our money to do something for God. And that's, that's not a wrong idea about sacrifice. But when, when God institutes sacrifices in the Old Testament specifically, it's because of righteousness. That a sacrifice is required for you and I to be made right with God. So we see that the sacrifice is carrying out so that God's people can be made right with Him. And, and you see this in verse 30, 31, when Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron to, and he says, Fine, go. Now, that might not sound like Pharaoh understands what's going on, but as a result of the sacrifice that has been made, right? We saw the Passover for the Israelites, we see the plague hitting the Egyptians, God's people are free. Guys, for the first time in 430 years, God's people are free. And if you think back to if, if you've been here for any weeks and you've heard us reading through Exodus, what has been one of the biggest promises that God over and over and over again has been telling his people? He says, I will deliver you. I will bring you out of your slavery. So you see right here, Right at the beginning here, chapter 12, God is delivering his people. When our God is at work, he does works of deliverance, of bringing people out of their bondage to sin and bringing them into a new life with him. He delivers. Our God delivers. But if if that wasn't enough, there is another work that we see God doing. And, and this one is a little bit harder to miss, and so I think many of us as believers, we, we focus more on the deliverance aspect. We forget that there's another work that God is active and doing, and that it pairs with deliverance, that you don't really get one without the other. We see this in these four kind of curious details that, you know, if you're reading the Bible, you may skip over it. But Moses gives four details about the people as they're leaving Egypt, and they're very very important, very intentional details. The first, this, this is all in verses 33 through 41. Moses tells us that the Israelites left without their leaven. Okay? That might not sound like that big a deal, but Moses includes it verse 34 and 39. He puts it in there twice. Second detail, the Egyptians gave the Israelites a lot of gold, a lot of silver, and a lot of clothing. Right? This is verses 35 and 36. The third detail, the number of Israelites is now 600,000 men and women, or men, not counting the women and children and the livestock. So, again, that might just seem like an accounting detail, but it's, it's important. And the fourth detail, the Israelites, Moses reminds us, have been in slavery for 430 years in verses 40 and 41. Each of these details, while it, could be that Moses is just kind of cluing you into what's been going on earlier in the narrative. And certainly, this text is a narrative, so that would fit. But guys, each of these details shows not only is God at work delivering his people, but he is redeeming them. That is, God delivers us, he redeems us. These two go hand in hand. In, in leaven, you think about those of you who make bread. Uh, I am not a person who makes bread. You guys probably could tell that I don't do a whole lot in the kitchen without a very detailed recipe to follow. Uh, But in leaven, when you make bread, leaven is the agent that kind of causes everything to happen, right? There's different types of leavening agents that cause different types of reactions, but that ingredient is what kind of sets everything off. And Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, he describes the kingdom of God like leaven being added to bread. Bread in the New Testament is is often a symbol of life. So Jesus is saying when the kingdom of God comes, it, it is the catalyst that creates new life. He's alluding to himself being the one that can bring new life. Here, Israel is being sent out without their leaven. So as they are leaving, they've been delivered, but they are leaving, still needing something to bring them new life, still needing to be redeemed. In the jewelry and, and the clothes, guys, one of, one of the clear horrors of, of slavery of any, any time period, but especially of the Israelites here, it's degrading. It, it, it dehumanizes, it devalues, it strips people So here you see a picture of Egypt, the people that had been holding the Israelites captive, giving them the very things that they had been stripping away and withholding from them for 430 years. It is a picture of value and dignity being given back to life. So as Moses is showing the people are leaving, he's showing there is a redemption that is taking place. In the numbers, numbers in the, in the Old Testament especially are, are very key. They, they typically reveal a lot that's going on. We see that there are 600,000 men besides the women and children. If you go back to the end of Genesis, when Jacob and his family have moved into Egypt, the nation of Israel starts with just 12. 12 men with their women, their children, and their livestock. And yet... Despite the fact that the people have been enslaved, they've been being beaten and whipped. We've seen that earlier, that they've been being killed on, you know, wrongfully. They've, they've been oppressed for 430 years. They've gone from 12 men in their families to 600,000 men in their families. And why Moses would also put that detail in there is because it, we talked about this earlier in Exodus, but... These numbers trace the covenant promise of redemption that starts all the way back in Genesis when God tells Abraham, I will make you into a great name and a great nation. You you will have as many descendants as there are grains of sand. So when you see numbers being recorded to show how the people are growing, it's a clue that the Israelites and the, the, the Jews would have read this text and said, the covenant is there. That's the covenant at work. God is redeeming his people. It's another detail showing not only does God deliver, not only does he set free, but he brings new life. He is the new life. He delivers, he redeems. The last detail, guys, 430 years. We started this morning with a moment of prayer over just different Whatever we needed prayer over, because we've seen so many uh, uh, members of our family, our church family, and our personal family was sick, needing prayers for healing. Uh, we see our land very clearly needing healing. And, and, and at the end of a week, it can be very discouraging when you don't see prayers answered, right? It, it's very discouraging sometimes at the end of a day not to see prayers answered. 430 years of prayers in our perspective, not being answered. And yet what God has been doing, he's not been inactive. He's not just delivering. He has been in the process of redeeming. So what does this mean for us, church, if if what God does is deliverance and redemption? what What it means is that this is what God does. I mean, that sounds very simplistic, but... I mean, seriously, it is one of the most commonly asked questions that everybody has. I used to be a youth pastor. We saw this all the time, right? We want to know what is God at work doing? And we want to know where where is God at work in my life? Guys, we forget that what our God does, he delivers and he redeems. Our God is always in rhythms of delivering redeeming, resting, delivering, redeeming, resting. And so if we want to see where God is at work in our lives, in our community, our focus is, has to be on, hey, what in my life, what in my family, what in my world, what in my community, what, what needs deliverance? What needs redemption? So if, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, I, I would encourage you, look look inwardly first at your life and say, okay, where, where might I really be grappling with, with a sin issue on something, right? Where do I really need deliverance on something? Maybe God is, is at work right there. Or Where do I struggle to pursue God? Where, where do I not see repentance within me, right? These are areas in need of deliverance and redemption. These are areas where our God is at work, right? Then you can look at our world. You can say, look, where in our world do you see people being oppressed? Do you see people being overlooked? Do you see people being neglected? Do you see needs that need to be taken care of, right? Areas of deliverance and redemption. This is where our God works because our our God works through deliverance and redemption as we see in his people. And I would encourage you too, if you are not a follower of Christ this morning, this, this is the foundational work that our God does. And he desires to do that work within you. You just start by being delivered and being redeemed. We need this daily. We need this of him now. And praise be to a God who does this. Right? We, we've been singing it in our songs this morning. You, the Graves to Gardens is, it gives wonderful lists of all the things that God does. Did you guys hear how many of those works are where he's delivering something? He's redeeming something. He's restoring something. This is where our God is at work. So if it's true, right? That's the first question. Where is our God at work? Our God works through deliverance. Our God works through redemption. Then what does that mean for us? And I want to I encourage you guys, as we read the next section, this, this to me is when you hit certain pockets of the Old Testament where you go, okay, I really don't want to read through this because it's instructions about feasts and about celebrations. And you go, is this, is this literal? Is this symbolic? Is this pertaining to me? There's a lot of intentionality behind why, why all of this is ordered, why God gives these instructions the way he does. So, so as we read the details of the Passover, the consecration, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, this is what's coming next, guys. It is, it is no accident that all of this comes right as God is delivering his people, okay? So we're going to be, we're going to be picking it back up in chapter 12, verse 43. We're going to go through about halfway through uh, chapter 13. It says, and the Lord, Nope, verse 42. It was a night of watching by the Lord. So this is in reference to the Exodus. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house. And you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Right, so as he's delivering them, Where does God go next? The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites," Amorites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all of your territory, no leaven anywhere. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Now when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your forefathers, and shall give it to you, You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery." For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And it shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Guys, what what God does... As soon as he delivers his people, as soon as he is working to redeem him, what he physically calls them to do. And this may sound not like the answer you would expect. But what he calls them to do is to remember, to remember, to remind themselves and others of what God has just done. Now, you would think, man, the people of Israel just saw this done. How could they ever Forget this. Well, I, it is so easy for us to forget things. I, I don't really have a good example of it, but I mean, you, every single day I forget something that should have been easy. I forget a prayer that God answered. I forget something that Abigail told me five minutes earlier. It depends on how much we are paying attention. It's very easy for us to forget. The very first thing God does is he calls his people to remind themselves and others ...of this deliverance and this redemption that he does. And and guys, notice all the different ways that God calls his people to redeem. In chapter 12, verse 42, he calls them to remember the exodus as a night of watching kept to the Lord. That, That Hebrew word there that's translated as watching is the word shimerim... ...which means to set aside as like a feast or a holiday... Right. So we have holidays because it's an appointed time that we stop and we remind ourselves of something uh, and we celebrate it with people around us. This is what God is telling the people of Israel to do with the Exodus. He's calling them to stop and to remember who God is and what he has done for them. In verses 43 through 51, is, as God is adding to the, uh, the instructions regarding the Passover, which I won't go into too much detail of. We talked about it a lot last week. He's reserving the Passover for His people and all who would become His people so that it could be an act that reminds them and others of who He is and what He's done, of God's deliverance and His redemption. And then in chapter 13, God gives two new ways that they are to remind themselves of this work. So God is setting up all these different acts of remembrance for them to do. He sets up this, this feast of the unleavened bread, which is chapter 13, verses 2 through 10. He calls them to spend seven days eating nothing but this unleavened bread that was all they had to eat as a reminder of them that God is the one who redeems them. God is the one who brings new life. Seven days of eating this bread, and he calls them to do this Because in verse 9, as a sign on your hand, right? Eating the bread, very tangible, they can hold it. As a memorial between your eyes, it's something they could physically see. That the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. It was something they could eat, they could internalize. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. It was an act to remind them of his deliverance. And then you see in verse 8, they were supposed to teach that to their children. So they're reminding themselves, they're reminding others. In the consecration of the firstborn, in, which is uh, chapter 13, verse 1, and then 11 through 16, just as they'd offered sacrifices in the Passover, God says, still continue to do this. Whatever the firstborn is, you are to consecrate, which is which is just a fancy word to say, to set it aside as holy. You, you Basically, you're to give it to God, right? To say, this, you have blessed me, I will set this aside to praise you, for you have delivered me and you have redeemed me. You see, verse 16, it is, it is an act that is to remind them of his redemption. I, I, if you guys were hearing me read it, I hope you counted the number of times the word redeem comes up in verses 11 through 16. It is, it is all over there because it is an act to remind them of God's redemption. So what God does is he delivers and he redeems his people. And the very, very first thing he calls his people to do is to remember that, to remember this and to share that with others. So what this means for us guys as a, as a church, it, it really is that simple. What God has done in our lives, has, he's delivered us and he has redeemed us. So what we do then as individuals following Christ and as a church, as a body gathered together to follow Christ, is we need to be intentional about, hey, whatever we do, whatever we attach the NRF name to, whatever ministries, whatever programs, whatever things we do, they're to help us first and foremost remind ourselves God delivers and redeems. But then also teach others, remind others, God delivers and God redeems. And, and I, I want to encourage you guys because memory work is, is like the least fun work that we ever want to do. Uh, if you've ever studied for a test, right, the act of having to go back over and memorize everything is, is the least, at least for me, it was the least favorite part of class for me, right? I wanted to learn the new stuff. Right? So much of our lives revolve around, but God, I want to know something new. I want to know, which honestly is, is what Charlie tells me all the time at the house. She says, Daddy, I want something new, something new. I don't want the same, same old, same old, right? The memory work is not the fun work, but it's what God has called us to do because in reminding ourselves, we learn how to remind others. And in reminding ourselves, we actually start to believe it. And we talk about growth sometimes as if it's attaining to the new and getting to something that we've never had before. And what God is calling his people to do first and foremost is you don't have to chase after that. You have to remember who I am and what we've done. Because if we are truly to bear his image, if we aren't reminding ourselves of who God is and what he's done, how do we know whose image to bear We cannot bear the image of one. We cannot carry out the work of one. We don't know, and we don't know what he does. So it should should make sense to us that it's primary. What God has called us to do is to remind ourselves and remind others of his deliverance and his redemption. So we need to be intentional about this, both as individual believers, but also together as a church. And I'm going to close this morning, guys, by just kind of talking about some ways we can do both of this, okay? So how we can do this as individuals and how we could do this as a church. As individuals, uh, and you know, surprised to hear this from your pastor, this is where spending time in the word and spending time in prayer become clearly, vitally important in the life of the Christian, right? Yeah, of course, you will. You would hear me say, okay, we need to pray more, we need to be in the Word more, but guys, if if the primary work that God has given us to do is remind ourselves and remind others of His deliverance and His redemption, where do we have the written record of what God's deliverance and redemption look like? God has graciously given it to us in His Word. Now, it how you are studying daily in His Word will vary for many of you. Some of you guys have been at this for years. You have rhythms of being in the Word. I want to encourage you to keep it up. For those of you, if you've never had a rhythm of being in His Word daily, there, it, is, it is very easy to start small. There's apps you can download on your phones. that you know, I have friends that say, they man, they send me a, a Bible verse every morning. And so I started by reading one verse every morning. It just got me thinking about the Word for the rest of the day. And at some point, I started to realize, I want to know more than just one verse a day. And so then it went to two verses, and then went to five, and then they studied more. So again, I'm not trying to tell you to go out and climb the whole mountain at once, but if we are never in the Word, then how can we be reminding ourselves of who God is and what He's done? And we paired this time in the Word with Time in prayer, because prayer is what draws us into God's presence. Prayer is where we get to say, okay, God, I've seen this in your word and I've heard this to be true. I've seen it in your word, but I'm not sure what to do with this. You know, Are you calling me to do something different? Are you just trying to reveal this to me? Am I supposed to be sharing this with somebody else? It's, it's prayer that, that, among many things, draws us to communicate with God what we are learning as truth from his word. So these two go hand in hand. I mean, as individuals, and and I I say this first as individuals before we talk about as a church, but we need to worship God, right? If if what we are called to do in worshiping God is to give him glory and give him praise, we can't just rely on on an hour, hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning as the one time a week we are giving glory and honor to our God whose image we are called to bear. This this time, this morning, when when John and I are working on, man, what are we going to do in the service? What are we going to sing? What are we going to teach? It is centered around how are we reminding and encouraging and strengthening ourselves so that we can go remind and strengthen and encourage others of who God is and what he's done. But this is... This is not sufficient for, for a believer if this is the only time we have. So, you know, whatever job, whatever family life circumstances we find ourselves in, now some of you guys, when you hear worship, you think singing. You don't have to go walking around singing everywhere you go. Some of you would be okay with that. And, and honestly, it might make the world a little bit happier if you had more people just walking around singing. But that's not necessarily what I'm saying you have to go do. We can, when we talk about worship, we're talking about giving glory to God. Right. And we can learn to do that where we are at beyond just coming to this place on Sundays. But when we are here and when we are gathered together as a church family, what will that look like for us? Guys, at the end of the video, at the end of the sermon last week, I shared there were six ministry areas, three that we currently have and are ongoing that we want to continue to invest and encourage in. And three new ones that we we prayerfully have feel led to start to focus in that we feel like are, are all ways to help remind us and remind others of God's deliverance and redemption. And I want to share these six areas with you so you guys can be praying about where might God be leading me to go join in. Uh, and, and some of you may get phone calls from us saying, hey, I don't know if you've prayed about this, but we, <laughs> we have. And uh, we would love to ask you to come serve in a particular area. And so I, I'll just share kind of the very broad overview with you. You will probably hear more of this in the coming weeks. But w- So one of, the, one of the new ministries is, is our small groups ministry. Uh, we've talked about, as a leadership team, starting actually two different types of small groups. One of them being for uh, about 10 to 20 people meeting in homes to gather Uh, together to pray together, to read the word together, to eat together. Very, very simple kind of fellowship modeled after Acts 2. The other type of groups is an even smaller small group, about 4 to 7. Kind of the same model of Titus 2, I believe, where it's, you have, you know, older instructing younger uh, people that, look, if we are called to bear the image of God, we have to be held accountable to that. So these groups are are probably going to be more, I'd say formal in that, you know, it's probably going to be people that are comfortable getting together, right, to be more vulnerable with one another. But I have gotten to know many of you and you, you guys have relationships with others that you are open, you are vulnerable in. So this is really just a strategy of saying, yeah, let's just formally recognize that is what you are doing, okay, is, is holding one another accountable to God's image. So we're going to be uh, working on to roll out the small groups ministry. Another one is a connections ministry uh, to help us kind of introduce people to life here at New River Fellowship uh, from the I'd say from the moment they enter the parking lot to the moment they become a member, right? Helping them get to know. Who are the different members here? What do we do? Uh, and hey, what we do is, is pretty small scale right now. So it's very easy for you to get to know the whole life of our church. But we want people that are going to be able to come every week and, and say, hey, if somebody is new, I want them to come experience what New River Fellowship is all about. So we get to know one another so that we can continue to share God's deliverance and redemption together. Uh, the third new one is, is a deacon ministry. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit different because you guys are, it, Deacons is a, a scriptural office of church leadership, uh, but it's a servant church leadership really geared towards congregational care. Uh, so working with me to visit families, to reach out to members, things of that nature, because we need to continue to encourage and remind one another, especially when we're in difficult and vulnerable seasons of who God is and what he's done. So that's, the deacon ministry we would like to get up and running soon and then the three current ones ongoing that we will continue to invest in are children's our outreach and our worship right these are three things that ever since i've been here day 1 this church has done extremely well and i have i have just seen that to be true you you guys have some very committed very dedicated volunteers in each of those three areas uh, i am i am I'm amazed and I am blessed at what Charlie learns when she comes back from being in the children's ministry because there there are men and women who want to share God's deliverance and redemption work with our children. So we want to continue to grow and invest in that ministry. I have seen through Agape, through Samaritan Inn. Uh, And and through through many other numerous projects that I know exist and that I probably haven't even gotten to see yet, but our church is very invested in sharing with our local community and with our state, with our world, God's deliverance and redemption work alongside meeting practical needs, doing those two things together. This is an area we want to continue to grow in and, and continue to invest in. In our praise and worship ministry. Guys, the, the praise team and I, we we work together to, to make sure the teaching, the singing, all of this helps us understand and grow in God's deliverance and redemption work. So we want to invite you to, to join this. And and just so you could see a little bit more of where we're going, our our goal is to, to kind of share with you this big picture now, to give you guys some time to pray and think about where. Might I be able to get involved, and where might God be leading me to serve and invest? It may be an area you've always served in, and that would be great. It may be a totally new area. That would also be great, but we want to give you guys a little bit of time, and so we are setting, I believe it's Sunday, February 27th, as our, our ministry launch celebration, right, where we will have hopefully gotten to talk with many of you guys, hear from you, to kind of say, okay, this is... This is who's going to kind of fit in where so that we can start actively engaging these ministries with hopefully by the end of March, guys, that all of these six are, are up and running and thoroughly invested in and continuing to be strengthened. So I shared this at the end of the sermon last week um, because it, it just it fits into where we're at and where we're going. Um, but it also does this today, too. I mean, if, if what God does is deliverance and redemption, And what we are called to do is to remind ourselves, but also remind others of this work. Then the things we practically do at at our church and in our individual lives engage in this, right? We've laid the big picture out with our mission, our vision, our values, uh, our mission, a community on mission, submitted to Christ and committed to disciple making. Our vision to be loving as Christ, learning from Christ, living in Christ. Our values... Christ is our life, reconciliation to God and others, sharing and experiencing God, the transformational unity of Christ, the power of prayer, and the image of God. Uh, I hope you guys are not tired of hearing about that because I will never get tired of saying this is where I really see God has founded us as a church on the word, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And guys, I, I, I pray, and it has been so cool to have all these different conversations take place with many of you as to see, okay, if it is true that this is what our God does, and if it's true that this is what our God desires of us, then what does that look like? And we're, you know, I've, I, I like to lay out a big picture and then work with you guys to, to kind of flesh it out. So you guys have heard the big picture. We're going to continue to flesh this out with you. And hopefully on February 27th, guys, we will get to have a celebration of saying we are ready to go and we are ready to run with this. So as we respond today, uh, I want to encourage, the band can come back up in a, a second here. Um, there's a couple different ways we can respond to, to all of this. Uh, first and foremost, guys, I think we need to consider if it's true that what our God does is deliverance and redemption, we need to ask if we have joined him in this work, right? That first begins with, okay, have, have, have we given our lives to Christ to say we want this work done in our lives, that we want to be delivered, we want to be redeemed. And second, if we have done this work, guys, I think a a very important question for us as as everyday believers to ask is, are our lives marked by repentance, right? If, If God does delivering and redeeming, that tells me that there's something about me that needs to be delivered and needs to be redeemed. And that begins with me giving my life to Christ, what we would call the fancy word justification. But that is an ongoing daily work where every day the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to me something about my character, my nature that needs to be brought into the image of God. Something that needs to be delivered and redeemed. We miss this work when we are unrepentant, right? When we just assume that what we are doing, what we're thinking, what we're going, all of it is fine. Okay, so where. Are are our lives marked by repentance? I think that is a, a very appropriate question for us to ask. And lastly, if it's true that we are called to remind ourselves and others of this work, guys, I want to encourage you, how are we engaged in this work? If I looked at what I did on a daily basis, let alone my involvement in the church, do I have any rhythms? Do I have any time in my day that I am reminding myself or that I even have a space where I could remind somebody else about God's deliverance and God's redemption? And encourage you guys, look, as you work to build those rhythms into your daily lives, that is what God desires, okay? It is a worthy work. As we pray, guys, I encourage you to pray with me a a prayer that just kind of tries to make sense of all of this before Christ, and then uh, we are actually going to partake in one of the two very clear, clearly scripturally given ordinances uh, for us, the Lord's Supper, an act of reminding us of who God is and what he's done. So, uh, guys, pray, pray with me this morning as we take communion in a second. Lord Jesus, if I love thee, my soul shall seek thee. But can I seek thee unless my love to thee is kept alive to this end? Do I love thee because thou art good, and canst alone do me good? It is fitting thou shouldest not regard me, for I am vile and selfish. Yet I seek thee, and when I find thee there is no wrath to devour me, but only sweet love. Thou dost stand as a rock between the scorching sun and my soul, And I live under the cool lee side as one elect. When my mind acts without thee, it spends nothing but deceit and delusion. When my affections act without thee, nothing is seen but dead works. Oh, how I need thee to abide in me. For I have no natural eyes to see thee, but I live by faith in one whose face to me is brighter than a thousand suns. When I see that all sin is in me, all shame belongs to me, let me know that all good is in thee, all glory is thine. Keep me from the error of thinking thou dost appear gloriously when some strange light fills my heart, as if that were the glorious activity of grace. But let me see that the truest revelation of thyself is when thou dost eclipse all my personal glory and all the honor, pleasure, and good of this world. The sun breaks out in glory when he shows himself as one who outshines all creation, makes men poor in spirit, and helps them to find their good in him. Grant that I may distrust myself to see my all in thee. May this be our prayer this morning, Lord, in your holy name.